Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my good buddy, Joe Holka, for a pretty wide-ranging discussion about the fantasy sports industry, you know, working from home, working in sports, kind of that that life-work balance. And, of course, we got into the the life optimization stuff, some crypto chatter, you know, just uh, just kind of shooting the shit with, uh, with my friend Joe, who is, uh, I think, a really smart guy. And, of course, if you guys are not already, you need to be checking him out at youtube.com slash Joe Holka. There is a link to his YouTube channel in the description of the show. If you want to support this show, patreon.com slash TakeCast for bonus episodes, or you can just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, everyone, welcoming in a uh, return guest to the show, Joe Holka. You guys, you guys, of course, know him. Uh, I, I pop on his show every Monday uh, to recap the slates. You know, normally it's a joyous occasion. Normally we have something to celebrate or, you know, we're, we're in the middle of the football season right now. It's November 9th. Uh, hopefully this will be a little bit more evergreen, but uh, Joe and I are both, our, our tails are, are in between our legs right now. So we thought, we thought we'd just kind of chat, shoot the shit about uh, what's, what's going on in our lives, kind of the, the industry as a whole, some crypto chatter, of course. Uh, how are you doing today, bud? I'm good, man. Tuesday, Wednesday, these are kind of the days where I get to like take a little bit of a breath, uh, the content race of the beginning of the week. And then I get like a little bit of time to kind of edit and do some things that I want to do. And then, uh, man, the end of the week is is usually craziness as well. So like this is like the perfect day and time of my week to catch me a little bit more relaxed. I was talking about this with Leone. It's like the only time I'm ever on shows with Leone is like the tilt space. Like we're going over our teams, like basically just like a totally like almost performing in, in some ways. And then the stuff with you is on For Mondays sure. and normally we're still tilting from Sunday the day before it's just totally different to like have like a real conversation like this. That's just a little bit more relaxed and open-ended, man. I want to do more stuff like this. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it is with, um, with Pete and I We're like, so, you know, Peter and I, we do all these shows in the off season. Like I'll, I'll go on, on ship chasing and I, I do these all like, and Corain too. I do like three shows a week with Corain where we're just talking about all these teams we're drafting and then the season hits and, and no one has, um any time i mean how is that how's the nfl season going for you in general did you did you get deep into the best ball stuff this is the first year i've taken it like somewhat seriously and even like as i say that it was only i think i've only got like 1500 down or so on underdog and honestly like it's it's a very good exercise going into the season so i found that very helpful i felt a lot more prepared from like the rookies and all those guys coming in so that was good. I also like don't enjoy the fact of my money being tied up for that long. That, that's something suck. that yeah. like is a, a big downside of uh, best ball stuff for me. But yeah, like the season's going well. Honestly, I I do the same thing every year, Davis. I have a really strong start. Like my first like three or four weeks usually go really well, and then actually things were going well with the tilt space also. And then the middle of the season is where I usually just get absolutely buried. So it's like after Thanksgiving. And then obviously the, the playoffs slates, that sort of stuff. I usually end up in a pretty good spot, but man, I should just like scale back in the middle of the season, but like that never happens. So I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it, that's kind of funny. You mentioned that. Cause I, that that's been the same for me. My biggest score last year was week four and my biggest hit this year was week six. I think also, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever won on Thanksgiving. I mean, honest to God, I think all my years doing this, I mean, maybe when I used to play like cash on Thanksgiving or something, but I, I'm pretty sure that the combination of three showdown slates, the three game slate and the two game slate, I, I, I know I've never had a bink, um, but I, I literally don't think I've ever turned in a winning Thanksgiving, honestly. 
it's been three or four years since I've played a Thanksgiving slate. And I'll tell you why. So normally I go back to Arizona and visit family there. And until this year, I couldn't even play DFS in Arizona. So it was honestly yep. like, honestly, like kind of like an agreement that I made with myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have one day a year where I can truly just be like a football fan and enjoy and just not tilt. And it kind of came off the, the back end of having a really bad Thanksgiving, like, like I said, four years ago or so. Um, but yeah, I don't usually play on Thanksgiving this year. I'm in a little bit of an issue because now you can't play DFS in Arizona. So I'm going to be home and uh, we'll see, man. Uh, I'm sure that I'll fire at it. I, I find them interesting slates, not as interesting for some of the contests that we like to play in the smaller field stuff. Cause like the whole idea of playing some of those Thanksgiving slates is to play against all the people on their couch that normally wouldn't play in the larger field stuff. Right. So I guess don't really have a good approach for it. I don't think. Well, and also it's just like, you know, it's just one three game slate or it's just right. one showdown slate. And I mean, I can lose 20 showdown slates in a row pretty much with my eyes closed. Like I, I, last year I did not win the mini max once on DraftKings, not, not one time. So, so what 17 weeks playoff weeks like that. I roughly 50 slates probably without a first place. Um, and I, I got that. I got it out of the way the Seahawks slate, the Seahawks Saints slate, I think I won this year. So like I'm, I'm free rolling now, which feels, mm-hmm. which feels pretty good, but it's so easy to lose like 50 showdown slates in a row. Like people don't even know how easy that is. Yeah. Honestly, like it's hard to even tell if you're good at something, right? I, I've talked to, to Peter about this a couple of times because uh, last year when I was playing more drafting stuff, I was uh, pretty in the weeds on showdown for the first time. And I didn't do a ton of content for it, but I was playing a lot of like kind of the same approach that I'm doing on the main slate, a lot of three max, smaller field stuff and was having a lot of success because playing these elite wide receivers. But that was like basically when everyone in the, at least the single entry stuff on showdown was just playing quarterbacks or just playing right. So I was like getting like Stefan Diggs, like 7%, just printing money last year in some of those spots. So like this year, those guys are like 30, 35% in captain. So it's just like a totally different meta, but also like such a small sample, man, like had a couple of really nice hits in showdown last year, convinced myself I was really good at it. And then kind of just gave a bunch back last year in playoffs because I thought I was really good at it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's hard, man. I have no idea if I'm good at showdown, but I do try. I think I, so, so I think I'm good at intuitively understanding like the differential plays, um, like, you know, getting really overweight on guys, the field is, is not on for whatever reason, but I am not good at math and at programming and at computers, which means that I don't get deep into the weeds with the Sims. I don't get deep in the weeds with eliminating duplicated lineups, which is, um, Leone quit playing showdown, but that was something he was doing. Drewby is really good at that. Like he's got this whole process where, um, you know, he, he like has, a algorithms created essentially to like keep duplicated lineups from his run. Whereas like, I'm literally just, uh, I create a, like a, a, a max salary and, you know, just kind of fiddle around with my player pool to get it where I want. So if I, I feel like if I was any good at, at like the actual mathematical stuff that you need to be good at, at MME for DFS, it would, I'd have better results, but I also, because I don't play for a living, I I'm really not incentivized to learn those skills. Like DFS is, is fun for me. And mm-hmm. so I, I haven't, I've never been incentivized to learn that stuff. It's a fun sweat, definitely. And I don't know if you feel this way, but my busiest days are the Island games. And I kind of did that so that I could do content on the back end of my live streams for the Island games. So like, man, by the time that my show on Mondays and Thursdays and obviously Sundays is over, I'm exhausted, man. So like sitting down and actually like mentally trying to like 
go through the slate and have a lot of action down from a showdown perspective is uh, something that I wish I had the energy for every week. But there's some weeks where I'm just like, man, I just want to get away from my computer, go have lunch or something and just see what uh, everyone's tilting about on Twitter and just have uh, not as much skin in the game as like a main slate. Like I, I honestly like started out this season, probably playing way too much action on the single gates, uh, single game stuff. I've, I've ramped it back a little bit uh, before I went broke. So um, yeah, basically I think I talked about this too. Uh, the week that I went to see Tom Brady in his return to Foxborough had probably my best main slate of the entire year and then gave away like 70% of it on Sunday night football uh, on the single game slate. So uh, lesson learned on that. I didn't want to continue to do something like that because it was a really good start of the year on the main slate. Uh, the last few weeks haven't been haven't been as good, but that's that's expected, man. I mean, if I'm just playing tournaments, I do think that that's something that you got to learn to deal with. Uh, one of the things that I haven't even talked about this yet, Davis, that I want to get your take on Um I started playing a kind of a unique uh, contest this year that I have never mentioned before, but I'm playing a lot of quintuple ups this year. And uh, let me tell you why. So normally I am playing the kind of smaller field, higher buy-in stuff, like not like the super high stakes, anywhere from like 500 to a thousand dollars. And I'm like, you know, like three to five main teams at that level. And then yeah. I throw everyone, every team in the Sunday million. Cause I guess I can't stomach not having that. So that's there. And then I was layering contests in between and Leonie and Pete give me crap about this all the time because I, I like to have a similar buy-in to each of my lineups. Cause I don't like to choose which one goes where. So I was layering yeah, in like $150. Yeah. So that was, that was actually an old PSU fans too thing. He's like, man, you got to make sure that your dollar amounts, you got to have layer contests underneath all that stuff. So I was having like the 150 in there. I was having like the $50 single entries, like those type of things in those contests. And then I'm sitting there looking at it where these, these payout structure structures are. Yes, all my upside still needs to be to try and get first. But like, why am I layering all this stuff in between that's giving me like a 1.8 or a 1.6 min cash? So for these weeks along the year where I don't hit the complete nuts, but maybe I cash, it's like not even doubling my money, right? So, but if I layer in between, and it doesn't mean it has to be like a crazy amount, but if I layer in between a bunch of quintuple ups instead of those mid-range contests, so I have my upside covered with the Sunday million. I have my main contest covered. That's the smaller field that I'm really building for anyways. That's the higher buy-in. But in between, I'm layering in a bunch of these quintuple ups, which honestly, 17% of the field is paid out. There's some contests that it's like basically that anyways. And obviously you're not going to have the high end ceiling from getting first in those, but I don't really care because if you go in and look at those tournaments and look at the ownership, it's all cash lineups, Davis. So it's like, if I play a tournament team in that, I'm already in a really good position to leverage and play the way that I want to play anyway. So I'm actually finding that I'm cashing those more frequently than I expected, even though it's only yep. 17%. And then it's 5X your money, man. So it basically gives me a lot more upside uh, on weeks where I don't have like that top one, top like 5% outcome. But those weeks where I'm like cashing my single entry stuff, I'm actually winning a lot more than I would yeah, if I would crushing. just layer some of these. Min yeah. So like, I, what, do you, what do you think about that? Does the logic make sense to you? Because I haven't really even talked about that yet because I want to test it out first. Yeah, no, I, I think that logic does make sense. Uh, and, and I actually used to be one of those people just entering the quintuple ups with my cash team. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I mean, we're talking like 2014, 2015 stuff, like long, long, you know, a whole different era of DFS yeah. where, where you could get away, um, with that stuff. I, I, um, I like the, I, I, I love the idea of the contest with a fixed amount that you win where it doesn't scale. Um, they DraftKings used to run these and I think FanDuel did too. They call them the super boosters where it was yep. like, if you finish in the top 1%, you like 20 X your entry fee or whatever. And I used to enter those like crazy. Like mm -hmm. I would like, I would like, like 
put like five teams in there um, because, you know, I didn't really care if it didn't scale. Like, you know, it was because I I am um, actually one of those people that has like a pretty good mental game with DFS. Like I, I never sweat like, oh, you know, this lineup I put in the $5 single entry would have bonked the $100 single. I just like to. Cause I Good think, for you, I man. think it, I'm not that way at all. <laughs> well, cause I think if you, for me, had I focused on that stuff, I mean, I could just focus on the fact that like, I mean, there are, there are many avenues I could have been rich in my life, right? Like I could have gone all in in DFS when I started playing in 2013 or whatever, I could have leveraged every dollar I had to my name in Bitcoin when it was 400 bucks. Like there's so many ways where I could have been rich in my life and not, not that I'm like this broke boy, but like I, I could have been, so I just, I, it's been, it's just like very important for me, I think to have that, that mental discipline. Um, so I love, I love that concept of entering the, I might actually, uh, do that, do that myself. You know, I, I play mostly on DraftKings. I literally don't even know that this is a super annoying thing about the DK lobbies. It's super hard to find contests like that. Um, they, it's like, it's like the, the, the three mans and the five mans and stuff are like hidden on DraftKings. Right. Really annoying. I love that about FanDuel because it's, it's just right there. It's its own tab. It's interesting too, because I'm not playing, like maybe I should be playing like the triple ups and double ups that same way. But honestly, like I, I kind of just like having the quintuple ups because it's still like, it's not like what you're saying where it's the top 1%. I think there's some on DraftKings where it's like top 8% get paid out and it's like 10X or something like that. But man, 5X for 18% of the field being paid out. If you're building GPP teams, like I, I think it's a pretty plus EV spot. And you just have to know that a lot of the people that are playing those, like they don't care about that. They're not focused on those at all. It's basically covering their upside when they have a ton of action down and at least on FanDuel, like you can't get a ton of action in quintuple ups anyways. Right. So it's a really small allocation relative to like my main tournament that I'm playing, but I do think it provides me like a lot more upside. Like think about this way. Like I'm not really, I'm not someone that's going to do public math either, but like how many times do I have to cash that thing for it to be even like basically that even, right? Like I have to cash like one of those every two weeks for it to be like totally fine. Right. But if I end up cashing a couple of those in a week, like I'm set up for a couple of weeks more of just those buy-ins. Right. So yeah, you I kind of like gotta that cash, idea. You got to cash one out of every five teams to be, yeah. or, or one out of six teams. You can know. even just think of it as like your main contest. If you're getting 1.8 X, whatever, two X for a min cash, like essentially if you're layering, layering in these quintuple ups, maybe you're at like a 2.5 X for a min cash, like stuff like that. Cause I very rarely am I going to cash this tournament um, and not cash the quintuple ups. At least that's how it's been. It's been so far. There's just so many dupe lineups in there. And even these weeks where the, the chalk has gone completely crazy, like there's outs at least, right? Because ownership is even, we talk about yeah. ownership being really condensed on the single entries and stuff like that, but man, these, these quintuple ups, it's all cash teams, right? So like I'm able to pass people much easier. So, uh, it's something I've been testing this year that I actually think, uh, is relatively sharp. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I, I think I might, I think I might tail that strategy to, to, cause what I do is my, the tournament team that I like the most, I will just enter it into a bunch of stuff. Like I'll just click, uh, in indiscriminately. And then I just do, you know, the $50, the hundred dollars single entry and stuff is like, I I'll, I'll enter like most of those. Um, yeah, but do you care like about the thousand dollar for first place for your sixty five dollar tournament? Not really, because if you don't no. get first place, you're gonna two x maybe, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of I'm thinking about it. Um, I just gave away the goods, man. Now we're now these things are gonna be all sharp. Yeah, I that's the thing though, dude. People are are still lazy in DFS yeah. though. Like the the fact that after DFS has all it has all this money available, the fact that there are still edges is actually kind of wild. Like. By the time poker, like there's like no edges left in poker, uh, really at all. Um, and and it's a very similar group of people playing, but people are are mostly um, just lazy. So 
where are you at with sports betting stuff? Like, are you trying to aim more of your content in that direction? Are you, are, are you grinding these, these player props? Like, because this is what, I mean, every podcast, right. Well, goes over this stuff. Like, Oh, this is what the, the DFS companies actually want. DraftKings and FanDuel mm-hmm. actually want to just be these huge sports books. And it's so much easier to do sports betting than it is to do um, DFS. Yeah, man. I've, I've wrestled with this a little bit. There's like a few things that instantly came to mind. Number one, I live in Minnesota, so it's not even a legal place for me to sports bet as of now anyway. So it felt somewhat disingenuous to do sports betting content, even if I wanted to, which I don't really, because I don't really find it that appealing. I I think that the game of DFS is always going to be a lot more interesting. And man, it's just really hard to win sides over unders, that sort of thing. And if you're just going to kind of be one of those people that's acting like you're super successful on the sports betting side, I think that's fine. And that's probably something that'll make you uh, kind of grow in the industry, wherever you may be, because like there's a huge opportunity there. Obviously, it's very popular, but on the basically the prop betting side of it, it's kind of worthless for content, in my opinion, because there's really no way to do it where you're going to have any legs in terms of time with that content. Right. So like the way to do it, and there's people that are doing this successfully is just to have a community discord, whatever it may be. And as soon as that line moves, it's over, right? You can't do a props bet video, in my opinion, on a Friday, on a Saturday, even a Sunday morning, because by the time that some people see that, especially if your content's on YouTube or wherever it may be podcast, those lines just don't exist anymore. Right. It's just so much faster. So I don't find it um, great for content. And it is good to kind of layer it in. I'll, I'll talk through it a little bit um, as I'm going through different games and stuff like that. And obviously just use the FanDuel lines and all that sort of thing. But I, I don't find it especially interesting from a content perspective. And it also feels a little bit disingenuous if I know that I'm not doing it myself. Yeah. So I, I think that, I mean, you you hit on a key point. So like I, I had Pozzola on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about this exact same thing. We're like, you know, there are these companies that exist now, these content providing companies that, um, you know, reel, reel you in with like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm 72 and 14 on player props. And it's like, okay, well, how long are those available for? Is your account getting limited? Is the account right. of your, your subs getting limited? And so right now, like ETR, Levitan is doing this for player props. And they basically have to, as a group, coordinate it so that they all click submit on their bets at like the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think Levitan has been limited by like three of the books that he has access to already. And like when, when they have these accounts that are, are flagged altogether, when that line gets hit, it either gets pulled or it gets moved. And so you, it, it be like, even as someone paying for the content, like you, like the, the ETR guys, um, you know, they've been crushing it They're like, and they're obviously not the only ones doing this, but yeah. these, gr- these groups, these, these people that are betting these together, because the way player props exist is it's just a, it's just a way for the books to allow you to have fun. Right. Cause where they really make their money is by being able to bet every game plus plus one ten on, mm-hmm. on both sides. They don't want you to be able to crush them there. And once you get, um, you know, flagged as a sharp account, like that's pretty much it. You. And luckily I'll never get flagged as a sharp account because, uh, so Haralabos was talking about this on, on Twitter the other day, he said they were setting up shell accounts to get action down. And for like six months, they would just bet, you know, relatively lower limits and they'd only bet overs. And I read that and I was like, that's just my account. Like my account, <laughs> like when I, when I log on to make bets, cause like, again, I'm not doing, if I really wanted to take it super seriously, I would, but that would require a lot more effort 
it would require me to think that and and especially like dude imagine putting all that work in to getting good at it and developing a process and then getting limited i mean i would just be so pissed like that the concept of getting limited i think Mm. is is just so brutal for people who want to take sports betting as seriously as they took dfs yeah, I'm, I'm with you on all of those points. I, th- I think that if you're into prop betting, you should be doing it as something that's just fun to add to like your sweats during the game. Cause like, I mean, prop bets are very fun for sure. Like, I, I think that that's probably as far as I would take it. Like you said, like, where, where does this scale? Like, what does this do for your business? Because the content's going to be bad, number one. And number two, if it feels like you're selling people this like crazy, like win rate, that's not really going to be sustainable for someone watching a video an hour later. It's just not that valuable for what I'm trying to do with my business. I do think it's fun. And I think that there's good stuff out there that's doing it, like trying to find that niche of people. I think that's fine. It's just probably not for me. Yeah. And like, so, you know, we do, we do sports betting programming on sports grid, but it's all entertainment based, right? It's all, Mm -hmm. it's all in front of the paywall. It's never like, tune in and you'll well, that's totally all- fine yeah yeah mm-hmm. like and, and that's a, that's another thing i talked about with pozzola is there's a huge difference between sports but be- like the mayo like mayo show right like it's dudes people tune in because it's fun it's mm-hmm. like uh the golf show you know when feinberg is hitting these uh you know victor hovland to win by more than three strokes like it's just a good time like that's fun it's a good sweat especially golf is is so perfect for it um, and Pat in general, though, like, you know, as much as I do almost every time he's like, yeah, these are my picks. They're not good, my... but we're going to have a good time. You know what I mean? Right. Like that, that's what you want to be, right? You want to be the Pat Mayo. You want to be the fantasy footballers, the guys that are, are bringing you good information, but they make it entertaining. Like that's the only type of sports betting content that I would really ever consume. Probably. Yeah, that's the, that's the only like, and I, I just think it's very important to be genuine in that way though. And I think the same thing is true with DFS too. Like if mm-hmm. you're not taking things super seriously, if you're not playing a ton, um, like, I think all of that should come through. And like, I, I do sports betting, like I make sports bets all the time. I'll tweet out like random, like, you know, first touchdown parlays and stuff, but I'm never like, I am a factory of, of money printing for sports betting. And I, I think that's, I think that's hard for some people. Like, I think that that humility of being like, I could win, I could lose. Like, I think that's actually really hard for some content creators. Yeah. And I think one thing that I talked about with Leone a couple of weeks ago that stuck with me a little bit too, is like the reason that people enjoy watching us or just listening to us talk about this stuff, regardless of some of the results that we have is that we understand things on kind of like an expert level, right? Like I would consider myself like maybe definitely not the best DFS player in the world, but I understand how to have those conversations, how to go through that thought process to be a potential profitable player in DFS. I, I know a lot about content marketing, growth marketing, that sort of thing. I consider those like my two main areas of like expert level expertise. I am not an expert level sports better. I'm not an expert in crypto. I'm not an expert in NFTs. So I I think some of like the main regrets that I have not to completely transition us is that like early on in DFS, I was like so focused on becoming like the best possible player that I could be. I was really focused on just trying to get my name out there and content without exposing myself to the business side, probably enough. And that's where most of the upside is, right? Unless you're playing crazy volume and some of this stuff. So I, I think that like, you should be, if you're talking about something, um, you either have to be very entertaining or you have to have at least some level of expertise. And I think that that just wouldn't be me when it comes to the sports betting stuff. I think it'll always be a part of what we're doing, but it's never going to be a core piece of what I'm doing. Or the other thing, and and this is like kind of like a new form of content that's like extremely 21st century is you have to be dumb in an endearing way and be able to ask questions that people like, which I, I, I actually think is something 
that people like about this show because I have people on who are way smarter than me. Um, you know, like some of these like huge guys from the NFT space. I'm like, I don't know shit and I'm not going to pretend to know shit, but I can be like intellectually curious enough to be like, how does this work? Why does this work? What does this represent? And like, I, I think people like that stuff too. Like, like, I mean, it's, it's why people like Joe Rogan. Like I, mm -hmm. I do not listen to Joe Rogan show. I don't find it entertaining. Uh, but the, to, when people talk about him, they don't seem to say like, this guy is a mega mind genius. They say like, he's a dumb idiot who like asks entertaining questions and has access to all these great guests, which I think is like another thing people really like. I'm really jealous that you have this outlet, Davis, because you have a piece of like your kind of niche in what you're doing. Like you can still talk about DFS and all of those things, but you also have a space to where you can bring people on, like you said, and just learn, right? And actually just like document that as you go. Cause like I, I would love, I've said this before, like I don't know if I'm gonna be doing football stuff forever. Like there's other right. things that I'm interested in. And I would love to have some sort of like spin-off of what I'm doing now to like really just like go into some of the stuff that I'm super interested in, right? Like I really enjoy investing. I, I enjoy like life optimization stuff, like all of that stuff, right? I just want to talk to really smart people and just learn as I'm doing content. And there's there's definitely times during the NFL season where it's it's not just a grind, man. It just feels like it's the content wheel, right? Like I could do this in my sleep. I feel you I think you probably feel the same way with some of this stuff. So it's like trying to keep things fresh. That's one of the main goals that I had this year. And it's kind of why I like like, I mean, I can just do this with you on a Tuesday because I mean, I, I don't, I have it blocked out of times where I can do things and be a little bit more creative or just have conversations that I want to have. So it doesn't just turn into me only doing content on my show when things are just like turned on and then just doing all the editing. And then it just, it's, it's hard to do that for an entire season, man. I'm trying to be a little bit happier this year and do things that I actually want to do and have more flexibility. What, uh, what life optimization stuff are you, are you doing during the, the football life optimization is like. It's one of my favorite things to think about and talk mm -hmm. about. And then sometimes I realize that like, it means that I will have something in common with like the worst type of people. Cause you know, like Silicon Valley, like tech bros, yep. like love the, the life optimization stuff. And I'm like, I fucking, I know I'd get caught in a room with one of these dudes and we'd actually be able to talk about this stuff for an hour. It's actually something I, I, I don't, I don't like that, but I just, I, I can't help myself. I do love the, the life hacking stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of stuff, right? I, I think it still comes back to like, I really like having some sort of routine. Like I find like a lot of solace in the fact of just knowing what I'm doing and football gives me that structure, but also like, I, I'm just really into like, what am I doing? Like the, as soon as I wake up, what am I doing? What, what's my morning routine? That sort of thing. I, I like to have uh, that in the back of my head. It just makes me feel safe in a lot of ways because I was always so structured um, growing up and just, I have to be at this place for practice. I have to have a workout directly after that. I have to go to the study session after that. And then directly after that, I have to have dinner. Then I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to have be, have to be on the bus tomorrow at 6 a.m. for a road trip. So like for me now, like I'm trying to figure out ways that um, I can still get everything I want to get done, but trying to figure out different things that I can stack on top of one another. So one of the things that I've been recently doing um, every weekday is I'll go in the sauna, I'll meditate at the same time, and then I'll even the do- The habit like, stack, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. After I get done with that, I usually do like a quick, like 10 to 15 minute, like body weight workout in the sauna. So I get like a real sweat going and it's really just doing like push ups and abs and that sort of stuff, but in the sauna. And then I go directly from there into the pool. Like, uh, and it's pretty cold at this point. It's an indoor 
pool, but it's uh, one of those things that I, I like researching that stuff because there's so many benefits to going in the sauna. I know Peter has like a bit about the sauna right now, but this is something I've been doing for a little while. And there's a bunch of research that says like basically being exposed to a really hot temperature or really cold temperature, like within like 30 minutes of waking up, it just has all these health benefits. So um, going from the sauna into like the cold, not necessarily a cold tub, but directly after like there's like kind of even just like mental sides of it too, where it's like every single day, do I ever want to jump in that cold tub? Absolutely not. And it's like five seconds before I jump in, I'm like, this is the worst. I don't want to do this, but the days that I do, and there's definitely some days where I don't, where I'm just like, all right, I'm not doing this. I'm going, I'm going back upstairs. And, but the days that I do, it's literally like a split second after I hit the water. And I'm just like, this is the best part of my day. Cause it's completely yep. peaceful. And it's just like a wave of just like that cool down after doing the workout in the sauna that it's just every, I never regret it. And it's something that like, you have to be uncomfortable in that way to get some of the benefits of that. And it's just like stuff like that. I, I want to learn how to do more stuff like that, whether it's like going and playing golf and listening to a podcast at the same time, trying to get some research in before the show, whatever it may be, and trying to do things a little bit more active uh, outside of just being in my room all day and uh, just doing content, man. I, I can only edit video for so many hours in the day before my head explodes. Do you, um, do you intermittent fast? I do. Yeah. Yep. What's that's your, something what's that's your, what's your eating window? So I, I do a little bit of a different window every day, but it's always very small. Um, so what I guess I try and do is I do do coffee with no cream until about noon. And then yeah, I try and be done with eating by like six. And there's, there's some days where it'll stretch out to where I won't even eat anything until after my show. And that's like two thirty three or whatever it may be. But at that point I've only had coffee. So then at that point I feel like I, I can go a little bit later for a dinner. And I'm not crazy about it. Like if it's a weekend, like th there's times where I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll cheat at night, whatever it maybe I'll have breakfast in the morning. I'm not a huge breakfast person in general. So I think that it is easier when you're in routine to get through some of that stuff. But yeah, I'm really big on intermittent fasting. I've always struggled to put weight on. It's, I guess, the opposite weight uh, problem for some people. So for me to actually like build muscle, it actually really helps with that. And I don't know the science behind it, but like building muscle after I was done playing was something that was like kind of difficult for me. So like during the football season, I just get skinny, man. Like I'm six, three and I would get down to like 180, 175 pounds. And my playing weight was around 200. So I, I just have to like do everything I can to keep weight on. And the intermittent fasting is like actually helped me like cut fat, but also build muscle in ways that like other things uh, without like getting under the bar every day and doing squats and bench press, which is just terrible for your body across the board. I'm trying to find different ways to do that. You're not a, you're not a, you're not a heavy weights dude. I used to be for a long time, man. And I'm paying the price for it. Now my shoulders are just absolutely mangled. I had a hip surgery before my freshman year of college. And a lot of that had to do with just doing deep squats at a really heavy weight for a long time. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of benefits to doing that metabolism, all that stuff, but, um, yeah, at this point in my life, I'm trying to do more body weight stuff, more just high intensity, like cardio. Um, like that's kind of part of the reason that I'm doing these circuits in the sauna is that I can get a really good sweat in like 20 minutes and like get the heart pumping a little bit. I've heard you talk about that before too, Davis, like getting, getting your, basically your cardio, like elevate your heart rate elevated. Is, there's a lot of benefits to that. Uh, once I mean, a day yeah, as you well. Got it. If you don't get your heart rate to like 130 or 140 yeah. every day, somehow it's like a disaster for your body and for your brain. Cause like mm -hmm. dude, some of this stuff is just like so simple to think about. Like what did humans spend the first 70,000 years of our life doing? Well, you probably had to walk a bunch during the day. You probably had to, you know, carry a dead animal, lift a bunch of sticks, use your hands to pull stuff out of the earth. And like, we, we think of human, we think of like 
well, yeah, humans have been advanced forever, but evolution happens very slowly, like uh, specifically microevolution for like things that our body needs. And maybe in 500 years, human beings will be evolved to be more sedentary and our brains will, you know, create dopamine and serotonin and our neurons will work in a different way. But like right now, if you live a super sedentary lifestyle and I I'm not preaching, it's like, I've, I've done this before. It's like, I've just during football seasons, I've like never worked out, yep. never gone outside. And it just like makes me depressed. And well, like, you don't have energy too. Like that's the big thing. No for me energy, is I, I need to be able to get shit done during the day. And if I'm like, if it's one o'clock rolls around and I'm just exhausted, it's just really bad for just everything. Right. And even just like after your day, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. Like there's times where it's just like my girlfriend's like she, I've been home all day, like working all day. She gets home from her job and she wants to like do stuff like go grab a drink go go for a walk and i'm just like, and I'm man, like I'm, dude, exhausted. I'm literally dead i'm like yeah, literally especially like on a I sunday my brain just wants to explode like after i kick off right so yeah I, I think just like trying to get or do things that are going to give me more energy and I, I find being active and working out uh helps with that a lot yeah uh it's it's funny you say that like i've never been a, a heavyweights guy in my life and like the last like three months is like the first time i've actually tried to like okay I'm going to start adding more weight. I'm going to mm -hmm. put an extra plate on and stuff. And like my, my body feels great right now. Um, and I'm doing, uh, you, you probably know this guy knees over toes guy mm -hmm. on, uh, on Instagram. I've started to do like some of that stuff to, because I have, I have knee pain from mm -hmm. skateboarding and also being like a little bit overweight. Like it's crazy. Like every, every pound overweight you are, it's like an extra four pounds of cubic pressure on your knees. Yeah. So like, if you're, if you're over, even, even if you, like think of like i'm not like a an obese person but like i can feel my Doesn't knees matter. getting getting better a little bit as i'm losing um a little bit of weight and so like i'm like uh like i actually just this morning i squatted 300 for the first mm -hmm. time which is like You're almost not three that play much. club yeah it's like not it's like not that much um mm -hmm. you know in the grand scheme of things but like that felt really good to me and mm -hmm. i'm not looking forward to paying that piper in the future and may and honestly maybe like that'll be enough for me. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to wreck my knees or my shoulders anymore, but like lifting heavy weights is like metabolically extremely good for you. Yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. Hockey was uh it's a unique sport, right? Because it's not like football where you just need like that pure strength. There's so yeah, you gotta many, be able to like, move. you gotta be able to move. Right. So I, I still think about this going to my last year of Canada in Canada and juniors, I got as big as I've ever been in my entire life. I was like two fifteen. And then I got on the ice. I'm like, man, I feel slow. Like I'm just yeah. exhausted. And it just wasn't a good playing weight for me. Like my best playing weight was like 195 to 200. And honestly, like I felt better when I started to skew a little bit heavier into trying to get more flexible, trying to do stuff that was actually make me faster, plyometrics, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of different things you can do where you don't have to just get under the bar. And, and I think like the, the training for hockey is just so different than a lot of sports because it's a completely different motion. And uh, I, I mean, man, it's, it's like anything, man. I get obsessed with stuff. I, I like overdo, you mean, you know me at this point. That's, I, I mean, overdo, that's literally, I overdo that's literally everything. what I'm doing right now. I literally like, overdo everything. Yeah, so. I'm, super in, I'm super into working out. So I, I spend too much time at the gym like like i'm like dead right now like i i don't think i could yeah. go on a mile walk right now like my legs are are total jello um but yeah like we're very similar in that way we're mm. like whatever we're doing right now is the most important thing in the world there's worse things to be obsessed with i, I suppose like i've I found yeah. like that even guys that i played with growing up like they get out of sports and they don't know what to do man those are the guys that like went off the wagon got into drugs or did something you know what i mean like they just didn't have that structure anymore and something to like kind of I guess, infuse all this like obsession into that's actually productive.
creative, right? So I'm obsessed with working. I'm obsessed with building my business. I'm obsessed with like trying to be happy. And those are like different priorities than I had probably even like a year or two years ago. Right. So I think it's an overall good thing. Um, But I, people will tell me that I I overdo things uh, pretty much all the time. So I'm working on that too. I just overdo everything I'm into, like whatever, whatever it is. It's like, oh, I got super into NFTs. So I need to be in discord uh, 13 hours a day and checking OpenSea 14 times a day or that scares uh, me, man. Yeah. I mean, just like whatever, whatever it is at the time, I just, I I am, I'm, uh, I'm all in on um, crypto. Let's a little, little uh, crypto chatter. So you know, a very natural transition for you, if you ever wanted to do it, would be like crypto YouTuber, because um, that's a huge, it. it's a huge space. Um, it's obviously the the problem, and we we've already seen one cycle of this in in uh, our our lifetimes. Is you you spend every day doing the crypto stuff. People are are googling it. You're you're they're YouTubing it. They're they're all over it. They're all about it, and then the price falls off a cliff and, and no one cares. I mean, all the shows I used to listen to in the 2017 bull run, they're gone. They, they're gone. They don't make yep. them anymore. They do something yep. else. Um, yep. So that's the, that's the very scary, scary part about going all in on that stuff. Yeah. Honestly, I don't talk about it as much. As, I mean, I, people that know me well know that I'm, I've been super into it for a long time. I definitely think it's the future. I definitely think it wins. I think it makes sense in so many different ways. And some of my, my, my quote unquote, like real life friends have been giving me shit about crypto for years, right? Like a lot of us, uh, we're all finance majors in school because we didn't know what we wanted to do. So it's just like right. totally, it's hard for them to wrap their head around it. It's like nice that we've been involved in gambling. So it was a little bit less taboo for a long time. But I, I mean, I was probably a lot later than you, Davis. I, my first buys, I actually checked it today to make sure uh, we're in late 2017. So um, I was there uh, for that run up and then got completely wrecked like a lot of people. And uh, the one thing that came from that that was good, though, is that I structured a lot better after I kind of made some really poor decisions. Like I was like, oh, I got a finance degree. I'm going to trade these cryptos. It's going to go great. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Been there, been there. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, again, I got obsessed with like trading for like a while in like 2018 or so and uh, made some money, which is also the worst thing that could happen is I had some success early and then yes. gave and then all you, the back. You're like, I'm yeah. a genius. I yeah. No one it's has easy. ever been a better crypto trader. What am I doing writing me? articles? This is way better. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so there's that. And then we know what happened from there. The top happens, it, it goes down uh, horribly. But the good news is after I had those lessons of like losing a good chunk on trades, I just set up some auto buys uh, weekly uh, for kind of some of the top coins. Most, I mean, I've been mostly uh, a Bitcoin maxi for for quite some time. This past year was the first time that I actually moved to significantly more Ethereum than I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty close to 50-50. I, I've got some smaller stuff that um, I'm invested in um, that's basically just some lottery tickets down there. But the best thing that I've done is just set up that weekly buy, man. And, and honestly, that's, that's probably, everybody. that's what's led me to like, Honestly, like it sounds stupid, but find my I found financial freedom in crypto, and I, I think that's probably like uh, an aspect of maybe I just was too exposed in the beginning, and it worked out, and that's great. But also, I, I think that structuring it in a way to where I don't even think about crypto anymore it's just something that that happens every week, and uh, like I actually, uh, this is the first year where I've actually sold a little bit at times. Uh, and I regret it every single time. I know you've said before, you've never sold crypto before. I have, this is the first year that I have, cause I wanted to take well, a little bit off the table. That's actually not a hundred percent true. I, okay. I sold, um, so a, a friend, a friend of the show, uh, I, I won't, I won't dox him, but he, he ran like a little fund for some mm-hmm. of us. 
and I sent him like 500 USD uh, and, and I, I sold my little chunk of our fund, which was Bitcoin, Ethereum and some shit coins. Yeah. Uh, I, I sold that to buy an engagement ring. So technically I have converted uh, an, an investment in crypto into USD for the first time ever about like three months ago. So I, I Davis, aren't, aren't you terrified by that? Like what you just did, you, you bought an engagement ring with crypto. So if this is something that we all think is going to happen and continue to go up like that engagement, you're going to be staring at that engagement ring every day of your life being like, Oh, that was like a half a Bitcoin. And then maybe that's a, a crazy amount of money down the line. Like I refuse, like I'm getting to that point too, where maybe I'm, I'm considering, man, she's not going to watch this. So she's never going to know, but yeah. considering going down that road. And I refuse to have one cent of crypto be involved in that purchase just because I can't mentally deal with it. Well, I've I, I already have my story where I bet half a Bitcoin when Bitcoin was four hundred bucks on on the Bengals versus the Cowboys. I think it was like oh. twenty sixteen or something. Yeah. Um. So like I I already have my like generational wealth lost in a really a really stupid way, and uh you know I mean one thing that's probably pretty good for people who are hyper hodling and have you know I don't know ninety percent of their net worth in crypto is like. You know, part of the, the point of like making all this money and having financial freedom is being able to enjoy the life that sure. uh, that you're living. And uh, yeah, could I have paid for the ring in, in US dollars? Sure. But, you know, I don't know. I want to be like, so I live a super low cost life. I don't know if this is true for you as well. I don't make a car payment. I drive the same shitty beat up car. I haven't had a car in five years. Don't need one. Yeah, I, I have the same shitty car that uh, that I had growing up. I don't, um, you know, I don't have like just just expensive things that people in their their late twenties, early thirties start to acquire. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I don't have kids yet or anything like that. So like, I live this really low cost uh, kind of minimalist life I, out of choice. But like, I don't um, I don't deny myself much of anything that I like actually want. Like, if I want to go to the movies and and get a you know, a uh, fucking big thing of popcorn. Sure. I, not thinking or, about it. or uh, this is a huge one. Uh, you know, people will do this all the time. They'll complain about like delivery fees on like mm -hmm. food apps or whatever. Don't care. You, save me an hour. You want to trade your time. You want to trade your scarcest resource on earth to save $12. Like this is, this is, and, and yes, Postmates, Uber Eats, DoorDash, they all treat their <laughs> Um, they all, they all treat their customers. No idea what that like was shit. or something just fell. It's gotta be your dog. <laughs> they, be. they, they treat the drivers like shit. So another hack is have cash on hand to hand them. You're do, like, I, I do that. Um, mm. but like, I'm not driving to a restaurant to go pick up my food. Like, do you know how much time in your life you'll lose that you'll never get back doing that? Like, that is an absurd thing. So I like, battle with my girlfriend about this stuff all the time. Like, so she'll, she'll buy something on Amazon that was like six bucks and yeah. she'll spend an hour of her time getting the refund, going all the way to UPS, dropping it yeah. off, coming back. I was like, are you like, I can't wrap my like, head are around you losing that. your mind. Yeah. So like, that's where we're different. I, I live, uh, I think I live a pretty, uh, minimalist lifestyle as well. The one exception that I've made, which is obviously a pretty big decision is the building that we live in is, is a really nice building. So we have a no, nice but that's gym, actually, we have a sauna. That's actually part of what I'm talking about because mm -hmm. the point of having money is to live a life yes. that is comfortable for you. And so like living expenses are a good one, mm -hmm. but like, uh, you know, driving a brand new Honda, like a two, like making sure right. you have a 2020 Honda Civic, like 
what 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 difference of quality of living is that really for you? There's not really one. You probably have friends like that. I know I do. I have friends that like are in their cubicle job making their 60 to 70 K a year, whatever it may be, but they drive like a sick truck, like a, like a $60,000 truck that they're and they making have, payments and they on. Have, and they and, have Pelotons and they want yeah, and to they've student loans, house. like all this stuff. Like, no, like I, I literally, I would never be doing something like that unless I was completely debt-free. And I, I think that's like the biggest thing too. I was talking to my, my girlfriend's sister about this and she just has no idea. Well, like she's been in school for a long time. She wants to be a physical therapist. So she's retaking classes to try and get better grades to get into a good PT school, all that yeah. stuff. I was like, okay, so your end goal, maybe you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you have a hundred thousand dollars in debt, which is compounding. Con like it's just getting out of that debacle is going to be so difficult. So yeah, I, I guess I actually to... I actually have a different take on that, which is okay. that it's it's fine to have debts denominated in US dollars provided the interest rates are not insane. So like sure. student loans, like I have I probably have like 18k left on my student loans. Um I'm not rushing to pay that back. I, I literally sure. have the rest of my life to pay it back. Um and and the the like and yes, it will that that interest is going to accrue forever and that's money I owe the US government, mm. but in like like, could I pay them off in like six months if I wanted to? Yeah, but I'm not rushing. Like, I'm not Dave Ramsey that shit. I'm not rushing. It's different than like a credit card or like a yes. car, like that sort of, that type of debt. Yeah, that type that of debt is, is just like going to kill you. Yeah. yeah, that's debt that will like murder your life. But like yeah. student, I, I, which is, that's actually a take people don't like. Like people love to be like, you went 60K into debt for your useless degree. But it's like, it's, it's 60K of very fake debt because you can sure. pay off like $80 a month just literally for the rest of your life. Yeah. My, my girlfriend's a special education teacher in St. Paul, like a low income school district. So if she's there for five years, she gets like her loans yes. forgiven. Right. So she's paying her minimum, all that stuff. And I think that's really cool that they do that for her and, and other people like that. I guess like one of the main things that I think about when it comes to what I spend money on, it, it's definitely like, I'm the kind of person, if I want something, I buy it. Usually if it has to do with my business, like it's, a, it's, it's even better, but, um, I like that the building we live in, like we have like a nice rooftop, we can entertain. Like those are the things that together we like to do. We like to go out to nice dinners. I like to be able to like pick up a bill for like with the, with the family, like that stuff, yeah, right? So that, I'm, that is, I'm, that, that is stuff's like, important to me. That's real quality of life stuff. That's so different mm -hmm. than like leasing a Peloton or, yes. or whatever, <laughs> you know? Like those are, those are like, my, my girlfriend, actually, I guess she's my fiance now. She like will make fun of me about this stuff all the time. She'd be like, we just went to like a $250 dinner and you bought me an $80 bottle of wine that I like, it doesn't matter to me. Don't like, worry, yeah, babe. This, I guess lost three like, grand yesterday in DFS. All good. Like that's cool. But then like, I'll, I'll, I'll cheap out on something else. Like I'll be like, yeah. Oh, I don't that, that there's no difference between these two things for me. So just buy the cheaper one. And she's like, that doesn't compute to me at all. And I'm like, because these are, these are totally like non-analogous things. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that literally will like, we'll go to a really nice dinner, come home and I'll be like, so you got like the, the generic version of like paper towels, right? Like we don't need that, like, like other stuff. Right. Yes. So I'm, I'm the same exact way when it, when it comes to that sort of thing. And, and I think that like, um, having those things that I know are going to like make me happy and be able to like have people over and be like, like, I, I don't know. I, I like that. And that's stuff that we do together. Right. Like we, we, what's nice too, is like to go back to your point about getting stuff delivered. Now I have a nice gym. I have uh, a sauna and I never have to leave my building. I have like, there's an area for the dog, all of that stuff. Right. So yeah. like my day is even more optimized because I don't have to worry about driving to the gym. I don't have to worry about all of those other things to kind of get those things out of the way from my day. So it honestly is like a time saving thing too, just to have that all in the building. And it's a secure building, obviously living in Minneapolis, that's important at times. So 
Yeah, man, I, I don't regret that, even though it's, I mean, it's way more than I probably should be spending on rent. It's very hard to buy any sort of real estate right now, unless you have a lot of liquid assets, which feel, I don't. Do you ever feel tilted about, about paying rent? Like I, I go back and forth because I just bought a house and like, uh, you know, all the, all, you know, they're uh, like Dink and all those guys, they're like, oh, you, you say you're leveraged long on crypto, but you bought a house. Like how yeah. crypto? I, I, I am on the side of those guys of, yeah, I'll rent uh, until I don't have to. I, I guess like I have fears of buying the top with pretty much everything. It's probably why I like, I haven't been oh, I definitely super bought invested the top in with this house. I'm never, yeah. I'm never moving. You never know. So yeah, I like to, I guess, not put myself in a position where I feel like I couldn't move. I also like that. I like my, my fridge breaks. I call someone, they fix it. I like that kind of thing. Right. So, um, there's a lot of things that I'm sure, you know, already being a homeowner that can go wrong. And I, I thought about doing like some rental properties and that sort of thing T's down the road, P's. but nothing, yeah. nothing yet, nothing, nothing huge yet, but I guarantee you the first time I got to get like the hot water. I like the, my level of tilt is going to be out of control. Like I'm yeah. going to be miserable the first time I have to sink $10,000. Wait till house. you have to buy a roof, man. I, I was uh, I actually did roofing oh. for a couple summers when I was playing in Canada. And uh, man, I mean, number one, that's probably part of the reason that I am the way I am about money too. Because like, if you're actually going in on like an eight hour day roofing on like, uh, like it's the value of a dollar is a little bit different to you at that point. Uh, so I think that that's uh, really important. But man, you, you could spend 15 grand on a roof, man. It's a joke. I just, I can't. Well, I was, I was like, uh, that, that is, a another good point is like, I grew up with like, not very much money at all. Same, so like that's, either. that's yeah. So that's probably also why, um, well, it's, it's why I cheap out on some stuff still. Cause I'm like, I'm like used to it and why, like, I don't want to buy a flashy car and, and, and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and then also probably it, it's part of why, like, it was so easy for me to ape into, uh, like Bitcoin and, and Top Shot and some of that stuff so early because I was like, you know, I've made it. I've made it through not having very much before. Um, fine either way. So, well, you got. I'm fine either way, and I'm never gonna get rich like working my job, right? Like working for Sports Grid, mm-hmm. whatever. Like it's it's a it's a very comfortable living. I have no complaints about it. But I'll never be like independently wealthy. You know, just just working, uh, which is fine. Like you know, not everyone needs to needs to be that, but like. You got to you got to seek out those chances to actually make, you know, differential amounts of money, I think. Do you think about that at all? And I don't know your situation with sports grid, but like all the work that you're putting in, like a lot of these companies, right? And I've, I've taught, I, I guess maybe just since I'm on my own, it's easier to say, but like the majority of these companies out there in our space, they're building to sell and the window of selling is closing. I mean, maybe not completely closing anytime soon, but within the next couple of years, you, you could argue yeah. that all the sports betting stuff that's coming in, like that's where all the money is. That's where all the public companies are going to be. So having some sort of upside there uh, makes sense to me. And maybe that's because I've been through the other side of it as well, like kind of grinding for a really long time and seeing a lot of people make some money on some of these acquisitions. And that's not even just in DFS, some other stuff that I've been involved in that uh, people don't even know about that doesn't have to do with DFS. So like I I have like issues, I guess, with getting involved in something where I know I'm bringing a ton of value to them. And I guess getting a smaller amount, uh, longer term from them in return. Like, do you, do you think about that at all? Like I, I, the one thing that you do Davis that I think is really smart is you have that, but you're also building something for yourself at the exact same time. I think that's super important. Uh, yeah, no. So that is, that is like a, like a real thing, but also this comes back to like happiness matters too. Mm -hmm. I like my job. 
they they kind of like I they they I do not get micromanaged at all in my job. You get paid on time. That's that's get, a thing. I, yeah. I get paid on time. I I like my boss. I like uh, I like the people that I that I work with. Um, I like the actual work itself is not menial to me. Now, any job you have, your your job could be to uh, pet golden retriever puppies all day long, and there'd be some days you'd wake up. No and doubt. Really don't want to fucking go to work today. Yeah. Right. Um. But like in general. It, it's like a lot of the stuff I do for my job, I would be doing anyways, right? Like, sure. it's just like, uh, like I was sick like three weeks ago and I like took a couple of days off of work and I woke and I was on my computer anyways, like messing around with spreadsheets. I was like, look, mm-hmm. it's just basically just like I'm working anyway. So, so mm-hmm. that's nice. But also sweating out every possible dollar, like is what I'm doing with my life right now, 100% the most best EV thing I could be doing. Probably not, right? Like mm-hmm. there are other things I could be doing. There could be there could be other avenues I would be exploring. But like, you know, I just said thirty minutes ago or whatever. Like I don't, I I try not to sweat every possible avenue in ways I've left money on the table, and that includes like professionally. Like my, is there is there other stuff I could be doing? Of course, but like mm-hmm. my my happiness level is probably roughly about as high as it could be, especially with the amount that I actually work. I mean, that's great, man. I, I think that. Like that's part of the reason that this past year has been um, eye-opening in some ways. Like there was certain times over the last like two years or so where I was chasing like that crazy upside, and, and you can see ways that that can go wrong. Uh, obviously, can't go completely into it. Anyone that knows me probably knows what I'm talking about. We'll know the details of that uh, soon. But um, now that I'm back out on my own again, there's just like such a happiness factor from, I get to basically plan out everything I'm doing. I get to have time to be a little bit more creative. And I enjoy the building process, man. Like this whole thing, like I said, if I'm not doing football one day, don't be surprised. Like I could literally delete all of my social media and I'm pretty confident that I could build it up in some other niche and be totally fine again. And there's like part of me that like wants to do that at some point, just completely pivot, do something completely different. Like you said, I could probably do my exact same show that I'm doing right now bring guests on and have it be finance, crypto, whatever it may be. And that'd be fine. But would that be as fulfilling to me? I don't know. Like there's still certain aspects of what we do, Davis, because there's people that we know that consume our content that are not going to be winning players and they don't do it casually and they have too much skin in the game, all of those things. And I, I struggle with that sometimes a little bit. I can try and like be as transparent as possible and basically tell them that it is very difficult to do this as a living. Like you said, I don't do this as a living either. I do content. For I mean, life. I tell that to literally everyone, literally yeah. everyone who's ever asked me about, should I quit my job for DFS? Should I quit my Absolutely job not. for NFT? Should I quit my job for crypto? And I have never once told someone to quit their job. Like, and, and yeah. maybe you could even argue that's irresponsible because maybe some of these people actually do but I just am always like, mm-hmm. I, I would never want to be responsible for giving someone the push they needed to enter into a space. Like, you know, it's just, there's neither you, you take on risk that a lot of people are not um, ready for basically. Yeah. And, and like, sometimes I even forget like the very beginning, man, like it was a grind and we were just doing all this stuff for no money and it was fun and it was fulfilling in some of those ways too. But like, if I wouldn't have had some sort of side thing going on, like you still have to be able to pay bills. So like my answer to those yeah. people always is like, yeah, do it as a hobby first and figure out if that's actually what you want to do. Like there's some people that think they want this life, or if you're good at it, yeah, too. It's not for everyone. And Pat said that too. Like uh, recently, we were we were kind of going back and forth about this, and he's like the entrepreneur, single, like uh, I don't know, like indie hacker type of person is not for everyone, right? Like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be for me, okay? Because 
I don't like to work that hard. Like yeah. you, Joe, you work much harder than I do. I guarantee it. I guarantee Maybe. you have, you have more and- skills and you probably are more focused when you're working than than I am. And I'm glad it comes off that way. Cause there's definitely days where it's, it's, it just feels like a complete shit show. So I appreciate that. Yeah. But like, I just, but that's, that is like a self-actualization thing that I know, which is that, uh, hard work is like, I can do it if mm-hmm. I'm motivated, but I don't always feel that way. And I don't get like, some people get a great sense of joy out of being productive and out of like feeling at the end of the day, like they really put in a shift. And that has like never been true for me at any job I've, I've ever had. Like I, I enjoy the work that I do, but I never feel like, yeah, I worked really hard and it was a really good thing that I worked so hard. I, I've talked to Peter about this before too, because we're, we're similar in the ways that like, sometimes like the work is self-inflicted. Like there was uh, I can't remember what exactly it was, but Pete recently was like, yeah, I'm going to do a best ball draft every day for the next 20 days or something crazy like that. And then like day seven, he's like, why did I do that? And there's been like these projects that I'll do even for like my YouTube channel, where I want to have like a bunch of evergreen content and educational stuff that can guess I can link to throughout the entire year. And that stuff's great in theory until you start doing it and realize that football is going to be here in a month and you're not ready and you have all these videos that need to get edited and it's just sometimes i overdo things again but uh give myself a little bit more uh work than i need to so like one of the things that i've really tried to do this year is really condense the things that i know are going to move my business forward i'm not going to be on platforms that aren't going to matter and i'm going to do things like a good example of this is and you'll you'll know this too like my my clips that i used to do for my show that i would post on social media i would go through and i would do the captions and i would do a bunch of other types of editing i don't do any of that shit now because basically what those clips are for is to get people from twitter to my youtube videos and I can clip something out in three minutes. That's going to basically do 95% of what a that's clip that was going to take me an hour before to do. Right. So it's yeah. like stupid stuff like that. It doesn't have to be uh, an 11 out of 10. Sometimes an eight out of 10 gives you the same results. So some of those things I, I do, uh, I think do a little bit better than I did before. And I have all these systems in place, man. Like it's like one of the best things about the framework of my show. And you'll know this is that you guys are basically producing your segments. You're sending me what you want to talk about. And then that cuts my research th- time down. And yeah, basically gets to the point you're always on at the same time every week. And if something comes up, like it's not a big deal. We can, we can fill it. We can do something else, but I don't have to produce because I know that like all you guys are going to be there in the same times. We're going to do it live and then I'm going to chop it all up into different segments. So like producing and directing and being the talent, like getting, doing all this stuff on the back end to get the ads in place and to get like the sponsorships, like it, it, it seems like this crazy ordeal, but some of that stuff, like now, like in year three, basically of doing my show, the way that I'm doing it, it, it is mostly like, just kind of like a, a system that I built at this point. And I, I think that that's something that over time it takes forever, but once you get there, it, it is, it is definitely worth it. And I, I enjoy like building that system out more than anything, probably. Yeah. Like it, uh, when, when, and you have to be disciplined like that, you know, when you're, when you're doing your own thing and I'm not as good about, about being, being, I mean, even even this show, like this show is just all on me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's distributed through SportsGrid, but they don't give me notes. There's no producer. There's no one booking guests for me. And sometimes I get lazy with it. It's supposed to come out on Wednesdays. Sometimes it comes out on Thursdays. Sometimes yep. it comes out on Fridays. Sometimes the the guest I had lined up falls through and I got to have Peter on or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or um, you know, uh, Pat Mayo on because, you know, who, whatever guest I don't know, who's not my buddy, uh, just ended up, you know, not being able to do it. And like that, that, that is much more freeing to me than being like, shit, my, my like livelihood depends on this, not yeah. falling through and me getting these things set up, you know, five days, uh, in yeah. a row or whatever. And I know myself enough to know 
that like that, at least right now works better for me. Maybe it won't be that way forever, but right now, like that is a, a much better fit for me. Well, I am going to make you do YouTube at some point. I'm going to force you to do that because I think I got to get a, you know, I got to get a thumbnail guy. You do. I got to get, I got to get a grant. Like, like I would, I would like to do it. I would like to expand this into YouTube, but it's, it is work getting that going. And like, and I, just, I struggle delegating, man. And I don't know if you feel that way, but maybe you have all of your stuff that you're supposed to do. But like, I, I'm an okay video editor. I'm okay at graphic design. I'm okay at like basically everything I'm doing. But there's some stuff I could probably hire someone to do and it would come out better or um, yeah. I guess it would it would take some stuff off my plate. Uh, that's one thing that I mean, we, we both lo love Pat and Pat does some things very well. I mean, he does basically everything better than me when it comes to production. And I got a lot of my ideas on how things are structured from him. And he's helped me out a lot with my studio, all that stuff. Um, but one thing that Pat does really well is he delegates to other people to do certain things that he just doesn't want to do. And, and yeah. I need to get to a point where I trust people to do video editing, to do some of that stuff, uh, producing all of that. And it's, it costs money to do that. And sometimes I get to the point where it's like, all right, I can edit this video in 12 minutes. And if I'm going to hire someone, they're going to charge me an hour. And that yeah. just seems like a waste of money and a waste of time. Um, because a lot of our stuff is so time sensitive, right? So it just basically turns into, I'd rather just do it myself, but maybe that's a bad way to think about it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like in, in that scenario, I would not have a problem delegating, but it would really chat me to pay for it. I'd be like, I don't really want to pay for it. So yeah, it's expensive, it's, man. Yeah, it is kind of, which is one of the reasons why I have not gone that direction is because I, I know I wouldn't really want to spend the time to do those things. Right. And I would want to pay someone, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. want to pay someone, you know, 150 bucks to do work that I know I At could least. do Yeah, that I know I could, you know, 200 bucks to edit this video that I know I could do, but I just don't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, basically just kicking that can down the road is basically it. Yeah, I, I tried to force myself to learn a few new skills during COVID just to like try and keep my sanity. So I did learn how to do a couple of these things that I was paying for people to do before animations, that sort of stuff, which which adds yeah. up definitely. So I think that's one of the really positives about being kind of like the one man uh, band is that I get to keep all the money, man. All the sponsorship stuff that goes to me, all the ad revenue that goes yep. to me. I don't have to give that to anyone. Um, so like if you're in a situation where you're hiring all these people, then yeah, I mean, you don't get to keep everything. So like there is a lot of money out there with some of these brands, depending on how you structure these deals. And I think sometimes even in our industry, people fall into, yeah, I'm going to get a CPA deal. I'm going to have an affiliate link. Like that is not all that's out there. You just have to look. And that's, what's been nice too, about being on the business side over the past two years with the company I was with is I got to be on all these calls. I got to figure out what these gambling companies really want. And, and then yeah. you kind of structure your deal from there. So I go into some of these calls with whoever it may be, FanDuel, DraftKings, whoever it may be. And I think they're just like kind of like taken back a little bit by how much I actually know and how valuable these players are because like they they come into the conversation thinking that they're just going to hand me their cookie cutter CPA their, their, deal their for deal, 35 yeah. bucks. And I'm like, okay, well, what's your, what's your lifetime value of your customer? And so they're just like, no one's ever asked that before. It's like, okay, I would like to know that first. <laughs> and yeah. they just like stare. It's just like, all right, well, I know like there's, there's certain things that like people just don't know what to ask for. Right. So like there's so much and someone like Sal Vetri and Nick Arcolano, those guys that basically have their own type of thing, similar to what I have on YouTube. I mean, they're probably making more money than me, but I know that they ask for certain things and deals that maybe other people don't. And there's just don't like, you have to, to yeah. you have to be willing to ask, have to be willing to ask. Yeah, no, like that. I mean, that is, that is just good life advice in, ge in general, always ask for more than you think you'll get. In any negotiation, especially like with salary or business mm -hmm. deals or anything like that, because every big corporate entity is going to try to give you less than you deserve.
that, I'll, that give you, just, I'll give you a really specific example, really specific, because yeah. if anyone has made it this far in the pod, uh, I would assume that they're somewhat interested in this stuff. So FanDuel, whoever it may be, prize picks, any of those guys, right? Like what is the most valuable to them? Is it a new user or is it converting a member of like a different competitor to come back? It's the second one by far. Yeah, so it's like think of it this the way. second one because that so means someone, they're like an active player too. Exactly. So like, yeah, the value of these customers, like it depends, right? Like there's someone that's going to come on, whatever it may be, they're going to deposit their 50 bucks. They're going to lose it in two weeks and they're never coming back. But that person that has been a player for a year and a half just happens to have the large majority of their action on a competitor. That person is much more valuable. So you need to be able to reconvert these people and reactivate these people to the sites that you're working for, because that's where all the value is. And those are the people that they're going to really value, right? So if you're dealing with a smart company and you tell them, yeah, I don't just want a CPA. I don't want to just bring you new users. I want to help you get some of these users back from other people that have basically taken their action. And that they're going to look at you and then be like, that makes a lot of sense. Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll get that into your deal. Okay, perfect. Because, I mean, depending on where these platforms are at this point, Davis, like how long has DraftKings and FanDuel been around? They've been around forever. A lot of these people that are watching our content, they already have an account. So, or you're competing against something like ETR or fantasy pros, fantasy footballers, and they're capturing a larger majority of the new people, right? So you need to have your upside in different ways, whether it's through a yep. flat fee, whether it's through, uh, there's different deals you can do with like CPM. So like basically how many views you get on your video, you get like a certain flat fee for every thousand views, whatever it may be. So then it's more of like an exposure type of deal. And then there's other ones where, yeah, you're just trying to bring people back to a platform that they haven't been on in whatever it is, four or five months. And you want to get them to redeposit or play a paid contest for the first time somewhere else if they've been more comfortable just playing on X site, right? So there's, there's a lot of different things that you can do. I, I like having the flat fee aspect to it because then it doesn't feel like I'm just constantly selling people things, selling which I don't people. really want to yeah. do. Yeah, you, you just want them to be engaged with the video. I've, I've yeah. always felt the same way because I like... Um, so before I worked this job, I worked actually a similar job to what your last job was working for a company in the DFS space, but not doing like picks or anything like that. So I still, I was like a contractor. So I was doing, uh, you know, I had affiliate deals. I was doing like, you know, one-off articles and, and stuff here and there. And uh, so I had lots of CPA stuff that was like, I mean, it's fine. And it, it, it was made money just fine, but I, I really prefer tens of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, more than that, because this know, was back in like, it, this was back in like 2018 when people were still mm -hmm. signing up or even before that, actually, when people were signing up for DFS sites. Sure. Um, but the, I, I always preferred doing deals on this show where they'd be like, okay, just for like, we'll just give you. 500 bucks per ad read or whatever mm -hmm. like I, I i i preferred those deals because it just in the end it felt more genuine and uh just a result of exposure as opposed to selling people something yeah there, there's two things that, that come to mind with that and the first one is that you'll realize too dealing with even some of the largest influencers we had a guy in my formal former company that had about half a million twitter followers and you realize that conversion rates are a little different than you expect and i think even some of these really big dfs and companies well, don't twitter realize is that. the worst conversion uh, it, you know, Instagram, exactly. TikTok, they're all way better for conversion. In Instagram mm -hmm. or Twitter is like of all social media, it's the worst for converting into to paid followers. Twitter is also one of the best things for traffic, though. Like a lot of my traffic yeah. comes from Twitter to YouTube, so it's all, all different types of things. But for converting, you're right. Like Twitter, like if you're gonna throw a, an affiliate link in a tweet, like you're not gonna get many people to do that, no matter how big your content or your platform yeah. is. So, so there's that. Um, also, I think that I kind of forgot exactly what my second point was actually on that. But one of the things that I'm still trying to do a little bit better is bring things that are 
um, good, like win-wins for my audience. Right. So I did a deal with pristine auction this year. I like memorabilia. Look behind me. I, I have a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've been using pristine auction for years. They're an Arizona company. Um, they're with the fantasy footballers as well. But one of the things that like when I was talking to them, about, I was like, I'd love to do like an unboxing sort of thing. So they send me yeah. a box every single week that I open on stream. And then I give that stuff away. I don't keep any of it. We just give it away on stream. So all they have to do, they don't even have to deposit any money on the site. They register with the site through my code and then they get a free 10 bucks if they buy something. But that's not even like really the point. It's they help me by registering and a large amount of people that do register, they buy at least something. But it's something that like my audience, it doesn't cost them a dime to do. And it's like a fun thing to do that has nothing to do with like signing up for a betting platform, whatever it may be. So I thought it'd be like a fun thing to do with like uh, my live stream community Sundays, we give a bunch of stuff away. We spin a wheel and that is something that I get paid the same amount either way. It's just way. engagement, so I, I bro. Yeah. 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 People love so, that shit. People love yeah. giveaways and companies love uh, low cost acquisition emails. Like basically mm -hmm. just getting people to create accounts on their site that they can email. Like email, that that's probably like the 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 craziest thing I learned being on the business side of DFS is like the just the value of an email list is absurd. Yeah. And now it's like the text message lists are, are even converting higher and convert. It always comes down to conversion, man. Like you get on the business side, it's like, all right, uh, what can this person, what can they, well, how many people can they bring uh, to our platform or whatever we're doing? It has nothing to do with you. Like maybe it's a, some people that aren't as smart. It has to do with views and that sort of thing, but that's really not that important. It's how engaged is your community. Uh, I know that's like the buzzword community, but it, it is true that some of these discord community. Yeah, exactly. It is true that some of these discord servers out there are more valuable than some of the websites out there that are being Required oh, for a lot of money. No so, doubt. um, yeah. I mean, you know, Peter does that very well. I don't think communities for everyone. I, I think that some people should build for scale and some people should build for like more of a niche audience. It totally depends on what you're doing. I think that there's a ton of value in having like a really solid email list or text message list to a lot of people because that scales, right? Um, communities are much harder to scale and do correctly and make sure that it doesn't get, get completely flooded. I'm sure you're seeing this in some of the NFT discords you're in, right? Is it just a mess in some of those? I don't really engage in that. Yes. And yeah. NFT discords are, uh, for, for like successful projects, they're great, but like 99% of NFT discords are just, uh, a total like virgin zone. It gets, it's, it's terrible. Like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But like they're the, I mean the, the best one I'm in is Pete's like Pete's Pete's discord is amazing. Like Pete, I'm saying, man. those uh, people do anything for him. Yeah. Like Pete, so I don't want to compete is, with Pete on anything. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to compete man. with Pete. Pete. Pete is my hero. That guy, that guy is, uh, is very much doing it right. But, um, with, this is uh, if, we're, if we're talking about optimization stuff, we're going way over. Sorry, man. Uh, the, That's my no, bad. I can talk about this no, stuff for it's, hours. It's. I mean, I I have uh, one other thing I have left to do today, so I could have sat here and uh, chatted for the next three hours. But all right, so we did all that. Tell people all the things they get by subscribing to the YouTube, getting in the Discord. Let's let's convert some let's convert some Joe Holka clicks right here. Let's do it, man. Yeah, youtube.com slash Joel Holka will bring you right to it. The live streams are every Monday and Thursday from 2 p.m. to about 5 p.m. Eastern time. Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. is like the big show where we do all the giveaways, that sort of stuff. But uh, the last thing that like I, I am very bad at, Davis, is I can't get people to go to the podcast because the podcast is like by far the hardest thing to grow. I, I'm not sure if I'm yeah. just doing something wrong or if there's just no, not a just, lot of organic reach there. Hard. It's just really hard, man. I got. I guess like what Pat always says, it just builds over time. So yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, if you made it this far, just go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, like Spotify, whatever it may be. Leave me a rating and review. Like I'm trying to move that thing forward, but it's just not going well. So I could use your help. Um, I mean, I'll, I will say the growth for this show has been super flat for mm -hmm. 
a, I don't know, six months or so uh, for, for, for like for a while. And, and certain episodes will do amazing, right? So mm-hmm. when it hits like a new corner of Twitter, like I bring someone on uh, from poker Twitter. And so probably not very many poker players listen to the show, but I bring on, uh, you know, Andrew Brokos or something. And that one will do like 17,000 listens or something, mm-hmm. which is like, which is like pretty good. And, you know, it'll be because it hit a new part of, uh, of Twitter and some people will subscribe and some people won't, but yeah, the, 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 also I, I don't sweat that stuff that much because, um, and maybe this is just like coping, but you know, Bales, uh, he loves to share this article, the 1000 true fans. And I think like my specific brand of content is really good for that, as opposed to scaling to like millions of people. Yep. And I, so like, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable with that. And I think the same is true for your stuff too. Like, and, and I mean, obviously you'd love to have a hundred thousand true fans, but like a thousand true fans is just kind of like my goal in life is just to have that be something that is like accurately represented by, you know, specifically this show. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap on this. I think there's two kind of ways to think about at least what I'm thinking about and I'm, I'm making videos for my core audience over here. And then I'm also making some discoverable videos over here. If you see clickbait for me, if you see like an egregious thumbnail and title, I think it's because if you make it to the content with that click, you're going to find some value in it. And that's kind of how I justify that because clickbait, it's like, it's really not optional. Uh, in my opinion, if you want to move forward, it is really about just getting people there. And if they realize that this is like a, a good show, it's high quality. They have like high, like kind of, uh, high end conversations, all that stuff. Maybe they stick around, but you like your people, like your core people, like you're saying, they're going to be there regardless. Maybe they'll laugh at my thumbnails, but they, they understand once they get there, they're going to get a ton of value. It's just trying to get the new people there. That's kind of the, the name of the game and, uh, just kind of trying to build certain things that scale, but certain things that just keep the core community happy, I think is the way you got to go about it. Yep. Folks, youtube.com slash Joe Holka, subscribe, like review, find it on iTunes, leave the guy a rating and review, be, be kind to our friend. And, uh, we'll be back next week.